Welcome to Back Points. We're sitting down today with Wade Chalice, someone who not only won two NCAA titles, but was also the outstanding wrestler in 1973. He also still holds the Guinness World Record for pinning more people than any other wrestler before or since. But we care about high school wrestling here, and so today he talks about how he helped design the Grundy High School Wrestling Program. He tells a great story of how a school with maybe 400 people dominated the state tournament 23 times, got ranked nationally, and became the path to college for a lot of kids. Without further ado, let's get started. He taught me to get up when I didn't want to get up, when I wanted to quit. I had high goals, man. I've always had high goals. And so when I won it, I was just kind of like, oh my gosh, you guys are right. So it's not the thrill of winning. It's the joy of having that personal goal and being able to achieve that and walk off the mat with your head held high and with your hand up. You know, you were just constantly drilling and drilling fast. That was when I really started doing the kind of wrestling that I was capable of. Anybody that steps in the ring and just decides to commit the entire time is a state champion in my in my book. Welcome back to another episode of Back Points, the podcast where top wrestlers and coaches reveal their secrets about how they won state titles in high school wrestling, as well as national titles and world titles. And in the case of today's guest, how he became the Guinness World Record holder for the most pins of any wrestler and for the man who pinned the most world championship champions. It is truly an honor to be here today with today's guest, Wade Chalice. Thank you for joining us. Well, thank you for having me, Will. So I want to start by saying that you and I have a personal connection because you coached Noel Lobin to a national title at Clemson University. Noel Lobin became my high school coach. What are some of the differences between coaching a high school athlete and coaching a college athlete? Well, they're, they're at two different levels. Uh, uh, it's probably more emotional, you know, and psychological at the, at the collegiate level. Um, they're already pretty good. The problem you have with collegiate wrestlers is they they know they're pretty good. And you have to convince them that you can help them take it from step one to step two to, to the championship. Um, they have a tendency to want to do it their own way because they were a two-time Illinois state champ. Or in, or in Noel's case, he was a junior college national champion. Um, they, they have to respect you, and you have to, you know, it's more of a, it's more of a hand holding than it is. A, here's a switch, you know, put your hand here. That's that's not as important as it is in the scholastic, you know, junior high, middle school, elementary level. So that gets us into the topic we wanted to talk about today, about how do you put together a high school program? And maybe we would start by talking about how do you define success when you're looking at a high school wrestling team? The answer that I'll give you now at age 70 is different than what I would have given you at 35. As you get older, you realize that a successful program is not the number of trophies you have on a wall. If you go into a club, you're trying to find one for your son to sign him up, and the coach saying, look at those, gold medal, silver medal, gold, trophy, trophy, national champ. We have Look at all the things we've done. That's the place you leave and do not sign your kid up, my opinion. Mm-hmm. You know, that's scary when, you know, because everything's centered around getting your hand raised. And if you don't get your hand raised, then because of the attitude in the room, uh, you – you know, they may not say it, but you consider yourself a loser. And it doesn't take long to, to walk out of a program like that. Um, to me, a, a successful high school program is you start with 22 wrestlers at the beginning of the year and you end up with 29. Mm-hmm. Most all, if not every high school program, well, I, I can't say every because there's never every, always and never, but most high school programs they start with 22, they end with 14. Why was that? Because you didn't help the other seven or eight or whatever walked out the, out the door. That defines a losing program. You want Johnny to go home and go across the street to Skip and say, Skip, you wouldn't believe we had so much fun. We did this and that was, you got to go try this out. Come on tomorrow. You can come on, try, try practice, try wrestling. 
and you know John will bring Skip, and you went from twenty two to twenty three, because John was having such a good time and and enjoying the sport that he wanted someone else, a best friend, to enjoy the same level that he was enjoying, same same program, same amount of amount of fun, and there's just too many that. Well, you know, the coach, ah, the kid didn't want it bad enough. Ah, he was a loser. Oh, he, was, he wasn't tough enough. Well, all, you teach tough. You teach winning. It wasn't he was a loser. You didn't teach him how to win. And when you teach him to win, then you have to sit down and say, what are the goals for winning? How do you judge winning? Everybody judges on TV. Either, you, you know, can you imagine you lose the 100-meter dash in the Olympics by one one-thousandth of a second? You go home with the silver medal and everybody in the world looks at you as a loser. Huh? What? You're second out of 7.4 billion people. You're the second fastest guy on the globe and you're a loser somehow because the media says so. Wrong. You know, the way we judge winning and losing is way out of whack for sports, especially at the elementary level. Again, an elementary program needs to finish with more kids than they started with. Successful, unsuccessful. I don't care how many medals you have. I don't care how many trophies you have over here. Do you have more than you started with? Yes or no? That's how you do it. That, as a parent, that's, that's when parents ask me, what do I look for? What should they look for? That's what I tell them. Is that the kind of program that you started in when you started as a wrestler? I did not. No. Uh, I had some wonderful coaches in Hollidaysburg, Pennsylvania. Uh, they wanted the best for you. Uh, but they came from Hollidaysburg. They graduated from Hollidaysburg. They came back to Hollidaysburg, and Hollidaysburg was never a, a strong wrestling program at all. Right. So I don't want to say it was a loser coaching losers or coaching kids how to lose, but they didn't have the skill sets only because no one taught them. It wasn't that they didn't want to. It wasn't that they weren't, you know, open armed to give you a hug, but they just didn't know. Mm -hmm. And uh, by the you know my junior year in high school. Uh, I ran into a man who did know what coaching was all about. He was the physical director at the local YMCA here in McCarthy. And uh, that's a whole interesting story, which would take most of the podcast. But it's a very interesting story of how I you know, made my leap from being an average high school wrestler to a state champ two years later, my senior year. And I, I, I had to wrestle a young man who had never been, never lost a match in his entire life. He, he was a, he was a, uh, two-time state champ, going to be a three-time state champ, but didn't make it. Uh, but anyhow, um, again, that's a, that's a, probably another story. I think you wanted to cover more about a successful program and how do you judge it and how do you, how do you, put, how do you put the program like that together? So we, we actually do want to talk ideally about both, if we can, about, you know, we, so we would love to know how a wrestler makes a leap from good to great or from, or from, from average to, to a high level wrestler. So if you think that's something we could, we could travel down a path, we could travel down. I'd love to, to hear how you, how you made that transition. Well, I'll, I'll put together years of experience and knowledge into a story line. Um, and I was a good coach, wasn't a great coach. Uh, I was never the, the Kale Sanderson, the Dan Gable, Although I had, you know, I know Lobans, my success at that level, but uh, I didn't, I didn't have anybody teaching me how to coach. Mm -hmm. I was so good as an athlete. As soon as I retired, I became the head coach at Clemson. Mm -hmm. I didn't mentor under Dan Gable. I didn't mentor under, um, you know, uh, John Smith or you know Jay Robinson. You know, had I spent two or three or four years underneath them, I think I would have come out a much better coach. But that's yeah, hindsight's 2020. Um, I was hired by a, a gentleman out of Grundy, Virginia, which is about as far west as you can get. You can see Tennessee and North and uh, West Virginia from Grundy. It's it's really actually where the Hatfields and the McCoys came from. The Hatfields were on their side of the river, and that McCoys were over in Tennessee on the other side. But uh, they won in Virginia, I think, 23 state championships now. And they're a little single-A school. And back when years ago they were double-A, when, when, when Virginia was 2A and 3A, they were the 2A state champs. But they could beat Great Bridge and they could beat you know, Robinson. They, 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 would stay, they would stay with the big boys and be a double-A school. But how did they get there? 
this gentleman named Red Robertson, uh, he was a uh, exceptionally rich individual. Uh, he had three PhDs. Mm -hmm. uh, he was Grundy, Virginia. Uh, he would give money to a lot of programs. He funded the uh, orphanage there in town 100% by himself, didn't have his name on anything, just quietly wanted to be able to help the community because uh, he was in the coal industry, had coal mines in Virginia, West Virginia, Tennessee, Kentucky. You know, he had, they were all over. And uh, he, he flew me up in his private jet uh, when I was coaching at Old Dominion. And he said, wait, I, I want to have a winning program. We don't have a winning program here, and I don't like to lose. And he said, what's it going to take? I said, well, what do you have available to you? He said, we don't have much. We're starting kind of from scratch. And I said, okay. Uh, I said, uh, it's going to take some money. I, you know, welcome to the world. Uh, you know, do I have a limit here? Do I have a budget that I need to work on? You know, I can help you then. He said, well, what we'll do is let me slide over the uh, legal pad. And here's a pen. And after we're done talking, uh, you'll be down to the hotel tonight. And uh, you're going to start filling things out. And tomorrow we'll come back and we'll reconvene here in my, in my kitchen table. And I want you to put a price tag to each thing, most expensive to least expensive, draw a line, tell me how much it's going to be. And I want, you have carte blanche. The sky's the limit. Spend as much as you want. I'm going, I can do that. You know, I'm going, wow. Now I didn't, I knew he wasn't going to do all of it, but okay, I can do this. So I start by saying, okay, uh, double decker Greyhound bus. $750,000 so that we could take the young men and leave Grundy and go to Cleveland, go to Washington, D.C., travel to the tournaments in class. How much would it take to house them and so on? And then I said, well, they don't have a wrestling room, so we have to build a wrestling room. That was 500000 And then uh, they had no wrestling mats, so we had to put you know three wrestling mats for the high school, two for the middle schools. They had two middle schools. They had eight elementary schools, so we need eight wrestling mats for the elementary school. You know, So I figured all that up. And I came back and I think, uh, I don't know, it was, it was a number way out there, mm. you know, and I think, well, I did my job, you know, yes, he said I could spend money. So, okay, why not? And so I slid the paper across the tablet across his, his, uh, dining room breakfast table and he looked at him. Okay, let's do it. Pardon me. <laughs> you know, <laughs> let's do it. Huh? You know. And uh, so we started. And I was able to use his power to talk to the principals at the elementary level to sell the idea of an elementary program. That's, you know, they don't want to have anything, basically, that, you know, because anything they start is more headaches, more paperwork, more administrative snafus, problems crossing their desk. So we had to do that. And he says, uh, how do we, what do we do for coaches? I said, well, now, what I'm about to tell you, Red, is something completely different than you'll hear from anybody else. But I know I'm right. He went, okay. I said, now, the head coach at the high school level is somebody currently in the, in the school. He goes, well, we don't have anybody who really does a lot about wrestling, at least some, that's going to spend this kind of money. I said, oh, wait a minute, Red. I need a guy who the administration respects, who enjoy kids. They enjoy him. And we're going to pay him a decent salary to administer the program. His job is not to teach a switch or stand-up or headlock. His job is not to be in the wrestling room ever. His, his job is to administrate with the Virginia High School League, to oversee the program with the high school principal, money from the, from the school, buses, travel, uh, making sure that they're playing by the rules, you know, in the high school association. That's his job, administrator and uh, hugger. Can give a kid a hug and can coordinate with the parents, talk to them, and smooth things over. Now, the assistant coach is going to be our technical coach. We're going to bring somebody in from outside. We're going to pay him a salary that he's not going to be able to say no to. You know, and uh, first year we got Ben Ward, who was an All American for me at, at Old Dominion University. And then they had Kevin Dresser, who's now the head coach at Iowa State, who was the coach at Tech, Virginia Tech. So he wasn't a bad head coach at Grundy. You know, and uh, and then when he finally left, they brought in um, – I'll come up with his name in a minute. Eh. But anyhow, we have he was an NCAA runner-up for Iowa, as Dresser was an NCAA champ for Iowa. And he's the technical. 
he runs the wrestling room. He has nothing to say about where the buses are coming and where they're going. He is not to talk to the press ever. That's the head job. We had the line right down the middle. Head coach responsibilities, assistant coach responsibilities. The head coach wasn't allowed in the wrestling room. He, you know, if we had a choice, he wasn't to sit in a corner in a match. If he sat in the corner, zip it. You don't have any opinion about stand up, switch, do it now. That's the assistant coach who was the technical head coach. So we separated responsibilities. At the elementary level, middle school and elementary level, I said, now, for the coaches there, if they ever wrestled a day in their life or they can spell the word wrestling, they're not allowed to be the wrestling coach. What? They are the same person who can communicate their thought, well thought of in the, in the community. They can communicate with the parents. They can talk with the principal. They can do the same thing that the head coach does at the high school level. What we're going to do at the elementary level is we're going to have a season. As soon as the state championship's over, for, you know, for the next eight weeks, the day after the state high schools are over, okay, we're going to have an eight-week program. There are seven. I mean, there are uh, eight elementary schools. We're going to have eight dual meets every Wednesday night, boom, 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 during the eight-week period. And uh, the assistant coach, there's going to be two assistant coaches at each elementary and they're going to be two of the varsity wrestlers. Mm. It's going to be a senior and a ninth grader together. The youngster teaching the olds and vice versa. And we're going to separate them. And the head coach, technical coach, is going to do a video of what's going to be taught this week. He's going to dub it and give it to each one of the eight seniors or juniors that are head coaches at these elementaries. He's going to watch that, going to tell the same jokes, going to teach the same thing, the same way that he learned on the videotape. And the head coach, which doesn't know anything about wrestling, is just to make sure that nothing gets out of hand. The doors are open. The doors are locked. The place is clean. The principals are happy. And what happens now is now the elementary kids, which are they were usually about 28 to 34 kids per elementary school. And at one time, Grundy, Virginia, had the, high, had the largest wrestling club in USA Wrestling's in all 50 states, they had over 500 kids in their club at the different elementary, middle school, high schools. And <clears throat> now all the elementary kids love to be coached by these, this ninth grader and 12th grader or 10th grader, 11th grader, whatever. And during the year, they would go to the matches because they wanted, I want to go watch Ricky and Bobby. They were my coaches. I want to go watch them wrestle. And they would show up. And of course, they couldn't get there by themselves. So mom and dad would have to come. So now we'd have three or four from each family you know, showing up in all the elementaries to the high school. Now the high school gym is full of fans because little Johnny, and he, he wants to watch Coach Coach Scotty and Coach Jimmy, who coached him. And what happens at most high schools is they hire as best they can at the elementary level, the middle school, and the high school, junior base. And each coach teaches what they were best at. If you happen to have a heavyweight who was a – state champion, and he's coaching elementary school in your school district, he's coaching side roles. Mm -hmm. Why? That's all they know. Now, I'm sure I've offended a few heavyweights, but the idea is, you know, what they do on their feet, push, push, shove, shove, stall, side roll, stand up. Okay, that's what they're going to learn because he's not going to teach a cradle or the switch because he doesn't know it because he didn't do it. What happens is that they're going to coach the thing that they're that they're the best at, which is good. Nothing wrong with that, except when they get to junior high or middle school, that coach says, well, we're going to learn half Nelson, a switch and a cradle. Oh, okay. And they don't go over the side roll ever again. So they forget what they learned in elementary. And then when they get to high school, the high school coach is going to teach what he knew and they're going to forget about the middle school. So there's no consistency. What they're learning is, you know, a month of this, a month of that, a month of this, and they're a jack of all trades, a master of nothing. This way, with the elementary tape, you have the same system coming up through first grade, fifth grade, ninth grade, ninth grade, twelfth grade. They learn the same thing because they all came from the head technical coach via videotape or now CDs down to the elementary on up. And these kids can now wrestle and they know how to because they've been doing the same thing for 12 years. Mm-hmm. They may not have a broad expanse of knowledge, but what they do, they do damn well. Mm-hmm. And that's how you, you bring it along and you, you nurture. 
And that's why you have a ninth grader and a 10th grader or 11th grader coaching, helping each other out. Uh, it's a lot of, it's a, it's a big mentoring system. And then for travel, we would send kids to tournaments. Uh, but anyway, we go eight weeks and then we'd have eight dual meets on Wednesday night. We'd have the parents come in in the first beginning of the, of the season and do an auditorium to high school. And we talk to them about what we're going to do with Johnny and Sammy and Barbara and Linda, you know, and how, how it's going to go. And we say, okay, now here's what we're doing. There's going to be a match. We're going to throw up two points and take down and reversal, but we're not keeping score on the scoreboard. We're not going to have flip charts. You know who's winning and you know who's not winning. We don't care about that. At the end of the match in the dual meet, both kids are going to get their hand raised, no matter what the score is. Both kid teams are going to come out. They're going to pick up Johnny and Sammy and they're going to carry him off as a winner. And we're not keeping team score. If we see any of you keeping individual score or team score in the stands, we're going to ask you to leave and you will not be invited back because the team score is not important. As soon as team score becomes important, then the coaches are starting to throw Sammy out against Bobby so he gets his butt kicked so he can protect his next wrestler so he can have, win three points here, only lose two points here, so he can hopefully at the end win the dual meet. And you have at least three or four kids out of the 13 that are out wrestling they're going to end up quitting because they got thrown to the wolves because they didn't know what the hell they were doing. And they got crushed because we don't care about him. We want to win the duel. When you, when you have those kind of mentality, then pressure changes outcomes and you have kids quitting. And then instead of having 422 kids at the end of the year, end of eight weeks, you're down at 317. What the hell happened? You're having a failing program. You let these kids get away. We had a, a young man, at Grundy, little little meatball, nice kid. Just he would trip over the lines on the mat. I mean, you know, no. He, and we, I called him Sky King. It was an old TV series back in the fifties. It was about a plane, and, and anyhow, and they called the plane Sky King. And uh, and I go, hey, Sky King, huh? Come here. Okay, coach. All right, come over here. I want you to help me. Can you do that? Okay. I want you to blow the whistle. And I say, he's not, yeah. Okay, blow the whistle. No, no, really, blow the whistle hard. Okay, coach, he blow the whistle. Thank you. And he followed me around. He was my assistant coach, you know. And uh, the next year I come up for a clinic in the summertime and his parent mother would show up. Thank God you're here. Why, what's the matter? Any problem? Well, no, he, for the last six weeks, when coach shall I come, come I want to be a coach. He's, I, he, I'm going to be his assistant. You know, he would come over and give me the biggest hug and I'd give him the whistle. Come on, you can help me. And he would help me. And uh, by the time he was a senior, he was a four-time state champion at heavyweight and he won two Fargo national championships. What the hell happened? He grew up. Every coach in America would have run him out of the wrestling room. Right. And, I, and I don't want to say, I don't want to take any credit for not running him out of the wrestling room. And he was first team All-American in football for Virginia Tech. He was the center when Michael Vick was the quarterback at Virginia Tech. He was an All-American. He was a gorilla. But someone just kept him along and bring him along. And after a while, he was no longer blowing the whistle. He was crushing people. But I didn't know. But it's a story of you never know how many national champions or All-Americans or state champions you run out of your room as a seventh grader or as a fifth grader, because you think he's he's a sissy or he's not very tough. Well, give him a chance. I wasn't very tough in junior high and elementary either. I was afraid to get hurt. And I didn't want to, when I played football, it made me run with the balls, afraid to run into somebody, you know, and get hurt. It wasn't too bad, but they, they nurtured me. And we had a choice to nurture them as well, to bring Sky King along, you know, to what the hell happened. But, you know, there are a lot of athletes like that. And our job is to bring those kids along and we have an eight week session. And then at the end of the eight weeks, we would have a County championship because there were eight elementaries in the count, Buchanan County, Virginia. And we would line them all up and, you know, lightweight to heavyweight. And every four men was a weight class. We didn't have weight classes. We just, it just so happened. I don't know how it turned out. There was only four kids in every weight class. How that happened. I don't know. 
And then we had four medals for second, third, and fourth. So every kid medaled. So grandma could go, my grandson, he, he finished fourth in the county here in the camp. Jenny, was, that was really good. He didn't win a match, but he was coming home with a medal. And at the end of eight weeks, we would then have a potluck dinner banquet, give out medals, awards, trophies, pats in the back, tell them how great they were, whether they were, whether they weren't, how much fun they had. And we'd have different parents on Monday for practice bring cookies. Each parent had a different Monday, and they'd, we'd have cookies and milk at the end of practice on Mondays. Why? So it was fun. And we talked to kids into, and I always had this philosophy, when you take your kid home when he's starting out, stop at 7-Eleven. If you don't do that, don't bother showing up for practice. I want you to sit. You're not in a hurry to get home. I know you got work to do and he has homework or this or that. It's critical. And you have Slurpees together. And you show each other the pink tongue from a cherry Slurpee, you know, and you laugh and talk. And what happens is I had three boys that wrestled. They were all state champs. And what they remember about me as coaching is we used to sit in the car and have Slurpees and show each other pink tongues or, a, you know, ice cream cone. It doesn't matter. The idea is they had fun. They looked forward to going to practice and they didn't look forward to getting their butt kicked, but they were looking forward to the ice cream cone on the way home. And I would sit there until we were done. We wouldn't eat and drive. And they tell me stories about what happened in school that week. And really, and you learn so much about the kids and the bonding of father and son. And you don't talk about wrestling, about how he was on his back and how you got to fight more to get off your back, damn it, Jimmy. You, know, you talk about fun. And it's okay. You had a great practice. Okay. And they like that. So we had, you know, so we went eight weeks and they would take Slurpees on the way home and for the, for the kids. But that was mandatory. We tell the parents, this is what you're critical. You got to do. It's a tough sport. You, no one likes to get their butt kicked. And they're going to get kicked a lot. You learn the lesson first. Uh, test comes first. The lesson comes second in wrestling. You go through a lot. So then, uh, then uh, after the county, we'd have the potluck, you know, and we'd play softball or kickball or, you know, during the, the, the award ceremony, you know, just to have fun together as a team, as a group. Yeah, we didn't care about how many, what your record was. We'd say, well, Johnny got the most improved because he was now seven and two. And now Bobby wasn't, though. And we didn't talk about that at all. And then uh, you would take the top 10% of the 400 kids and you talk to the parents quietly. You say, now we have another four weeks of wrestling just for the high-end kid. And we don't tell anybody about this. And we're only saying it to you and we're not going to mention it to your son. If you don't want to do it, that's fine. But this is what we do. Now, we'll, this will be our traveling team where we're going to leave Buchanan County with these 10 kids or 10% of the kids. And, uh, and most of the parents, go, you know, they'd be fine with that. And the kids would be fine with it. But you, you, you start kids eight weeks max at the elementary level, eight weeks, no more. So they can see the light at the end of the tunnel. And it's not an oncoming train, you know, so they can suck it up. Even if they're getting beat up pretty badly, they can suck it up and finish. Cause we say it's critical that they, if they're going to start, they have to finish. You talk about quality, you know, having the, never quitting. And so eight weeks is not that hard to do. 12 weeks, maybe they don't want to stay. They'll quit at the end of five weeks because it's too long. But now we have another four weeks where we have a travel team. Now, these kids are good enough. They can go out and have some level of success. Whereas almost every coach in the country says, ah, all you get in a bus. And the mother goes, should, they take, should you take Johnny? This is his first year. He's never had him. Oh, he'll be fine. Don't worry about it. We'll take care of him. No, he's not fine. And no, you're not going to take care of him. He's going to go get his butt waxed three times and have to sit in a 14,000 square foot concrete building for eight and a half hours and do this because he because he spent 38 seconds total in two matches out on the mat getting butt and pinned down over here. And he was going to say, hey, can I do that next week? This was so much fun. And you wonder why they quit. What are you, crazy? So we said, you know, and once Grundy started being pretty good, Teams would want to come in and scrimmage. And we go, no. As soon as you brought a team in, we want to win. You want to win. We're throwing kids, moving them around, trying to win matches, and kids are getting abused. You don't have to have that. You don't need those kids. You have enough in your own wrestling room. 
and then the other elementary programs, they have a wonderful program. Now, when they started coming up, now they weren't losing kids. Now they they slowly started losing, you know, dropping out at ninth grade because they realized they weren't going to be varsity anytime soon. But that's why I think they won 18 state championships in a row. Then they lost a one or two. And then they won. I think they won 23 or 24 state champ. They have more state championships than Grundy or Granby High School has now. I mean, they're the number one program in Virginia for the total number of high school state championships. It all started with the philosophy of getting as many because today. I think they only have 150, 200 kids in the whole high school, you know, and half of them are male, you know, so, you know, they don't have a lot of, a lot of talent to pick from. I mean, you know, you just don't have, you know, it's not like, you know, Robinson high school where you have, you know, 4,000 kids in high school and graduating, you know, 1500, you know, you, you have a lot more talent to pick from, but it's, it's the type of program and the winning and, and, and loving your kids, bringing them along. But anyhow, that's, um, kind of how we did it with Grundy and that's a combination of years of what I've learned when I was coaching. It's fascinating to me that you said though that you never you never coached underneath you know a Jay Robinson or a Dan Gable and and had you done that you'd have been a better coach. Where did you come up with this system? Did you create it yourself? Yeah I mean it's, it doesn't take long to watch it. You see when you're when you're the head coach you just got the new pro, you know, you just became the head coach at the University of Pittsburgh. You have a maybe a two year, three at the most honeymoon period where you got all the money you need. You got full complement of scholarships. You got the facilities. And University of Pittsburgh, you're, you're border on Ohio. You're in Pennsylvania. It's not that far to New York. If you can't find 10 kids to, you know, that can win, there's something wrong with you as a coach. So, but if you've never learned how to pick an athlete, you know, okay, what's the difference between a two-time South Dakota state champ and a state runner up in Pennsylvania in the same weight class? Where do you spend your money? Mm-hmm. What, what questions do you ask? What, what do you look for? What's important? You know, if you, you know, Jay Robinson would have taught me that. I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. You know, I'd have learned that from Dan Gable. I didn't, you know, I didn't have that opportunity. Mm-hmm. And you're going to make mistakes on how you handle the kids. You know, you know, right now you need to get rid of this kid. Because sometimes you'll get you'll get a bad apple, and a bad apple, you know, God, he's he's the best kid I got in the team. I can't if I get rid of him, I'm going to lose. But you know, it doesn't take long for that bad apple to find someone else that wants to be a bad apple with him. Mm-hmm. So one goes to two, two goes to four, and four along, you've got a program problem. You know, and by the time you get rid of the kids, you know, you had to, you had to throw five kids off the team, five starters out of ten, and start over again. You know, then people start to go, what's wrong with this program? You know, then they then the other college coaches that don't want to lose to you say, you don't want to go with Shallus. You know, last year he had to throw five of the starters out of the lineup. You know, he doesn't know how to handle kids. You know, then parents start hearing this. And before long, you know, it, it, it hurts your program. If you didn't have you, you need to go with Jay Robinson, you know, or today, Kale Sanderson or, you know, there's a lot of great coaches out there. I think Rob Cole is a wonderful coach at Cornell. You know, I, I love Ohio State's program. Uh, Iowa State with Dresser. There's no one better than Dresser. Uh, you know, to, to mentor under somebody like that, you know, for a couple of years. So you don't make those mistakes when you first start out. Because once you get labeled a, a marginal coach or not sure, it's tough to break that image. Mm-hmm. So you've talked a lot about the importance of keeping it fun at the younger ages and and, you know, you want to set the kids up for success by not putting them out against people who are going to clean their clocks, that sort of thing. What in your own wrestling, you know, what was the role of, you know, your early successes? You know, you're, you know, in, in high school, you know, you won the state tournament. You know, what, what's the what's what's the role of your early successes in terms of the, the later success that you would have as a wrestler? Well, again, I hope probably my old career to Gary McCarthy. Uh, I met Gary when I was a junior in high school. I went up to the YMCA. I, I taught up there with lifeguard. And, and uh, I walked in one day, we got a new physical director. My mother said, hey, go up and introduce yourself. Okay. You know, so she sent me up and I, hi, my name is, and, you know, he was a little guy, but he was about this broad wedge shaped. He was probably, 15, 20 pounds lighter than I was and five inches shorter than I was. A little guy, but he was a 
it looked like a gymnast, you know, it was slapped together. And, uh, and we talked to him for a couple minutes and I noticed in the back of his office, he had an old pair of wrestling shoes. Now I had just came off a 12 and 0 undefeated 12 pin JV season. <laughs> and I knew I was the best. And, uh, so I went, you wrestle? He said, yeah, well, I can hear it like it was yesterday. I dabbled the sport a little bit. Yeah, want to wrestle? I'm pretty good. And he shook his head and he said, I don't have time right now. I have class coming up. And what are you afraid of me? I'm, I'm turning the knife on him, you know. And he's going, okay, fine. Go on down, pull the mats out. We had the old five foot by eight foot horsehair mats back then. I rolled them out. He came downstairs. What was probably four or five minutes later, which seemed like 30, 35 minutes later. I'm laying on my back. I got blood coming out of both my nostrils, out of the side of my mouth. He's standing over top. He's got one foot on one side of my chest, one foot on the other side of my chest, looking down going, I hate a braggart, but not as much as I love a winner. Do you have what it takes to be a winner though? Yes, sir. Now I'm afraid to say no. <laughs> I know what happened when he's got, if I said no, I might've gotten beat more. Yes, sir. He says, good. I'll see you here tomorrow morning. Matt's out seven in the morning, ready to go. If you're here at 7.01, you're early for the next day's practice. Do we understand each other? Yes, sir. So I go home, tell my mother she's laughing about this, you know. Next morning, she wakes me. Come on, it's time to go to the Y. I'm not going. Yes, you are. No, I'm not. You told him you'd be there. You gave him your word. Your word is your bond. You will be there. Get your butt out of bed. You don't want to go tomorrow? Fine with me. Tell him today. But right now, you're going to the Y. Fine. So I go to the Y. Half hour later, I'm on my back again, bleeding. He's standing over top of me. Not bad for a rookie. But do you have what it takes to come back tomorrow? <sighs> okay. I'll be there. All summer. <laughs> Between my junior and senior, it was, you know, it, it, I forget what the time frame of there. But anyhow, all summer, everybody else is down at the beach with Sally Sue or doing this or that. Me, I'm getting the hell beat out of it at the YMCA. Well, I went from JV to not too bad, a wrestler. But he taught me humility. He taught me what mental toughness was. He taught me to get up when I didn't want to get up, to go for go beyond when I wanted to quit and uh, you know, I, I would have run through walls for him. And uh, he taught me how to get ready for matches and what to expect. In my senior year, I was 23 and 0, 22 pins. And I pinned the other kid, but the local high school coach didn't like me. I was loud, obnoxious and cocky. He didn't like me at all. He happened to be referee in that match and, and, uh, the kid was undefeated. I had to wrestle him and I beat him 21 to two. He was pinned seven times if he was pinned once, but a referee just wouldn't give it to me. And uh, I laugh. I mean, he's, a, he's one of my best friends now, the coach from Altoona, a uh, retired coach, but uh, uh, it is what it is. Anyhow, and then I had Chapman in the finals and uh, things worked out and Chapman and I, between the two of us in the finals, we had more pins between the two of us than the rest of the finals had combined. You know, he was 27, 27, 0 with 25 pins. I was 22 and 0 with 21 pins. And uh, uh, the only money was being bet that evening was that the match wasn't going to go six minutes. Somebody was going to make it off the mat. And uh, it, it turned out to be a pin, but uh, it was an interesting, interesting match. And, and then, you know, and then I was fortunate enough to run into two other tremendous coaches, Neil Turner and Bob Bubb. Uh, in the, at the, on the college ranks now, the coach of the year, the Kale Sanderson got last year, you know, it's the Bob Bubb Award uh, for the type of coach that he was, the respect that he had within the wrestling community. And Neil Turner was every bit his equal. And uh, uh, he was a head coach at Lock Haven University for many years. And uh, But anyhow, I was fortunate to be under two great men that continued my career, you know, and I didn't need technical knowledge. 
I, you know, because I had my own style of wrestling, which was completely unique, especially back in those days. You know, uh, uh, people have called me the father of funk wrestling. I would, I wouldn't think twice about diving between your legs. You know, where back then you'd pick up an ankle ride and you know single leg and play the edge. Now nah, I'm, you know, I'm just flying everywhere, and it was hard. They didn't know how to coach me, so you know, and Coach Bob would say. I didn't coach him. I just got him to the mat on time and I made sure he was down to weight. Other than that, I shook his hand, pat him on the backside, said, go get him. But he did a lot more than that. But that's what he always say. Um, and uh, so I had somebody who would, who loved me, respect me, give me the hug when I needed it, give me a kick in the pants when I needed it, made sure I was in class and my grades were going where the, the direction they wanted to go. And uh, so, you know, and from then on, I, I talked to uh, Carl Adams, uh, two, a couple nights ago, and Carl said, you were the best scrambler I've ever seen in wrestling then or even to now because I had to wrestle him a couple times. You know, I could scramble. I mean, you know, if you want to roll around with me, you're going to end up on your back. You know, the guys who would slow me down and just stand there and not do anything, Russians were very good at doing that. You know, I struggled with the, you know, they were my kryptonite. If you stand there and do nothing, I, come on, let's go. Let's <laughs> start rolling around here. And, um, uh, so that was that. I'm getting a little bit off off topic. I think where you're going with this, maybe just story time a little bit. Maybe people will enjoy the stories. Uh, I coached at T.C. Williams High School. Uh, the movie Remember the Titans with uh, that football. That was for T.C. Williams High School, and I was there during that time. And uh, I was just there for one year, and I got lassoed into it. Mike Moyer, the NWCA executive director, his father-in-law was the athletic director. And they were going to drop the program. And, and he said, wait, because I lived in D.C. and that was in uh, Springfield. He said, why don't you go up and, help, you know, could you help? They're going to drop the sport, you know, take, you know, just for the year. I don't have time. Come on, score talk to the guy. Okay, fine. So I wanted to talk to the guy. And, and I said, well, okay, I'll do it. Because they had had three coaches in two years and they all quit. And the, the athletic director was fed up with wrestling and he was going to drop the sport. So, okay, fine. So I show up practice. Next day, there's four kids in a room. Wonderful, you know. But I ended up with, I think, 28. Me, I was walking the halls, going to gym class. Hey, you, come here. You know, I'm pulling them out of gym class and, you know, giving it a try. And it was the best year of coaching I ever had in my life. We finished the year 0, 13, and 1. We tied the last match of the year. The first... I mean, we were so bad, so bad. They never, none of these kids had ever been on a wrestling mat before, you know. And I'm, they're out playing wrestling varsity. And you know, the first match of the year, I think, lasted twenty four seconds or twenty four minutes. Pin, 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 boom, over. Twenty four minutes, fourteen weight classes, you know. And I said, good. And they were all the kids were looking at me. What? I said, that's great. You're not supposed to win these matches. You've had a month of wrestling. Come on. But what we're going to do next next week, we're going to go 27 minutes. Can you do that? Yeah. Yeah, we can do that. I talked them into saying off their back an extra 10 seconds each. You know? And next week, we went 28 minutes. And you just swore that we won the dual meet. People in the other stands were watching us jump up and down and cheering. And my wife was up there and, and she was cheering. They go, don't they realize they just got killed? No, they didn't. They won. Why? They went for 28 minutes. Their goal was 27. And that was our goal every week, adding four or five minutes to the match to hopefully be able to go six minutes, you know, and not get pinned. And then at the end of the year, we tied. And it was like winning the Olympics. The kids were just beside themselves. I still get 14 or 15 Christmas cards now. And it's been 30 years ago from all these kids because they remember the time that they had. And my wife would bake cookies every Monday and we'd have cold milk and cookies after practice on Monday. And uh, it was just a tremendous year. But you had to, you know, we, we, the goals, you have to set goals for the kids. And the goal is not to be a state champion. Some of these kids can't walk and chew gum. They trip over curbs going to school. It's all you had. 
but you told them they were good, that they could be successful. And you set different goals that were small, chewable, bite-sized, digestible goals for Johnny and Bob. And each one was different. The four kids that we had that had one-year experience, I expected a lot more out of them. They had to go six minutes, you know. And um, and then at the end of the year, we finished sixth in the state with that same team. We had three kids get out of state and two of them placed. Wow. And a heavyweight football player. I went to the football coach. I went, hey, coach, what lineman do you have that had more penalties than anybody else on the team? He said, ah, that's Scott Bailey. I said, where's he at? He used to he used to be on the front line. He'd spit in the other guy's face getting on the lineup, and he'd kick. And, you know, <laughs> he had more penalty points in wrestling that year. He'd be slugging them. <laughs> you can't do that. Oh, coach, I, I didn't mean it. I, I was, you know, and he was just tough. And he placed at States. And uh, I had another young man who then turned out, we adopted and became our adopted son, Chris Marshall. It was a two-time All-American. He won the Midlands. He was a uh, Virginia State High School champion, an outstanding wrestler. He was a Pennsylvania State High School champion his senior year, his junior year in Virginia, an outstanding wrestler. And he became our uh, adopted son for us, you know, over the years. He was just tremendous. And, and uh, but it, you know, you bring these kids along and a lot of these kids still to this day call and say, coach, you know, I am today in, in business because of what I learned of the, how to set goals. And, and you always hugged us and you always loved us and you respect, we, you respected what we did. And I think that's what the program's all about. Again, it's not the trophies. When someone says, look at all the trophies we've won. I know that's at the, on the backs of twice as many kids that are in that room that quit because they couldn't measure up to that level. And if you go out at the high school level and recruit two or three really good kids when you're really starting your program, that's not a good idea. You'll win some matches that way. But those three gorillas that you brought in from other high schools, legally or illegally, recruiting-wise or whatever, however you got them there, they're so much different, so far ahead of everybody else that's in the room. They kicked the hell out of those kids. They beat them like a redheaded stepchild. And those kids quit because there's such a disparity between these four kids, two kids you brought in, and they wrestle three weight classes. So they're beating up on three kids. Even if you only got two really good kids that came from some other school, they're beating up on six of your starters. And these six starters quit because they, they don't think they have a chance of doing anything in sport because by comparison, which is true, they're getting crushed. So, yeah, you brought in two studs, and maybe you'll have a state place winner or two out of that but you'll have only eight starters in the lineup at the end of the year. Where'd the other ones go? You lost coach because you don't have a full lineup because you chased out of the room by these kids, allowing them to beat the hell out of these kids. You know, you brought the wrong kids in. You have to bring the whole team together. We did that at Grundy. All the kids were equally bad. And so they were, then they became equally average and they became equally good. And then for long, they were damn good. But they were as a group, they would come up. So they, no one was really getting crushed where they just, uh, I can't do this uh, every day. I mean, they quit because they don't think they're very, very good. These are the things that you have to bring a kid along. Again, you start with 22 kids and you have to finish with 28. That's how you judge the success of a program. And when you start doing that, you're going to get more and more and more kids want to show up. More parents want to be involved. They start donating their time. And you start, you know, then you could open, then you can start a club down below and bring the high school kids down. Nothing builds up a kid's ego more than he's he's four and seventeen on the year, but he's now the head coach at the elementary level. He's looked up to and respected by these kids, and now he wants to learn. And by teaching, you learn more about the sport than you ever had from the coach by having to teach it and go through it. It's it's a wonderful system. I love your perspective on this. And so where did you learn this type of goal setting? You know, you talk about incremental goal setting and, and were you taught this early on or was this something you learned over time? No, I, I, I learned that over time. I was too ornery to quit. You know, I, I started in wrestling because in, in my neighborhood within a four block area, which little kids and back when you had a bicycle and didn't have Nintendo and things to play on computer, you know, you ran with the neighborhood kids. And I was the I was the the entire group was three years older than I was. 
if I was going to run with anybody, I had to run with this group because there wasn't anybody equal to me age-wise or below me in my neighbor, in my neighborhood. And they didn't want to be around the little snot-nosed kid. You know, when they had a 20-inch bike, I had a 16-inch bike. When I got a 20-inch bike, they had a 24-inch or 26-inch bike. And for me to pedal, to keep up with them, and they were trying to get rid of the, the little twit that's behind them, they didn't want to be seen with. I had to pedal twice as hard to stay equal with them in their bigger bikes. And then when they wanted to push me around and go, go home, you know, I had to stand my ground because it, it, it was either that or stay at home and watch TV. I mean, I wanted to play soccer. I wanted to play baseball or softball or kickball, whatever, you know. And invariably, I would get stuck in matches. You know, they would try to beat me up or throw me down. And I learned and somehow I just always ended up in a headlock on top, you know, of bigger kids. And after a while, I, I was accepted as, he might be a little shit, but he's pretty tough. You know, and, and they accepted me for being relatively tough. So I was able to stay with it and I just wouldn't quit. I mean, they could black give me a black eye and that wouldn't deter me. You could knock me down, but you weren't going to make me cry. You know, and then after eventually they respected me and I was accepted into the group. And uh, and I don't know what I don't know where that makeup come, comes from. I mean, whether it's a certain thing that, you know, I, I had a father, but I didn't have a father. He was a merchant marine. And three months in a clip, he would be Vietnam taking ammo over for the war or whatever, you know, in ships. And then uh, he'd come home for a weekend and he'd be gone for three months. You know, so I, I had a father, but I didn't have a father. I didn't have anybody to take me fishing or hunting. So I'd go down to the neighborhood. I'd knock on doors. And, Hi, my name is Wade. I live three houses down. And my daddy's a marsh marine. And he's not around much. And I wanted to go fishing. I know you go fishing. Could I sometime please maybe go with you? Because I don't have anybody to take me fishing or take me hunting. You know, and eventually I find some people who would, ah, come on, kid, jump in the car. And they take me fishing or hunting. And if I didn't ask them, I wasn't going to go anywhere. So I had to be an extrovert, extrovert not an introvert, because it would have been so easy to stay home. And what was me? I wasn't going to stay home. I want to go fishing. You know, so I had, I had some neighbors that were kind enough to take me out and kind of adopt me kind of in a way. And I wasn't going to quit, you know. And so you take that outward nature and and my ability to fight, and you're not going to make me cry. And, and coaches saw that, and they were able to, you know, throw some fire on or firewood on the fire and things happen. And, you know, I was fairly successful. Um, I look back on it. It was, uh, it was a fun time. I mean, I, you know, I, I lost my share of matches. I don't like to remember them, but uh, I, uh, while I didn't remember them, I, I was never beaten. I never lost in my head. You know, the, the stats show otherwise, but in my head, I never lost. I just, Ran out of time. Give me another minute. I just, I'd have caught up, you know. But you know, and that's hopefully you're able to teach your kids that too. To, yeah. You know, when you have ch your own children at home, you teach them respect. You teach them, you know, if you're going to start something, you're going to finish it. You're not going to quit halfway through. I don't care what it's like, and I don't care how bad it is. You started it. You will finish it. And uh, our kids look back, and they're teaching their kids the same thing because they are all successful. Um, I'm quite proud of my children. You know, they've, they've done very well. They're winners and they don't know how to quit. You know, they've, they've been kicked in the teeth before and a lot, but they won't quit. Anyhow, so that's a little bit about me and some of my philosophy here. You know, are we running into the end of the, you know, when you said 30 minutes, I think we're probably at 45. Anyhow, this is awesome. This has been this has been fabulous. And I know that kids are going to benefit from from hearing about this and also other coaches. You know, this podcast is intended for other coaches as well. And this is they're going to benefit immensely. The one other question I, I wanted to ask is you're famous for your uh, for funk. You know, considered the father of funk wrestling. And um, is there anything that you attribute that to, you know, that you you were growing up, you know, anything that led to you be able to invent moves and to, and to always win a scramble. Yeah. And I, I, and I, I've done this coaching with Noel as well. You teach backwards. We in America, we teach wrong. We teach stance, motion, level change, penetration, finish up. And if I've spent five seconds drilling each one of those 
Okay, st stance, motion, move around. Five seconds later. All right, good job, guys. All right, now we have to do, we, you know, stay out with stance. Now motion, we go for another five seconds. All right, stance, motion. Okay, all right, stop. Very good. Now we have to do level change. So stance, motion, level change. Okay, stop. So when you go through those five, how much time did you spend on stance? So you spend 25 seconds on stance, 20 on motion, 15 on level change, 10 on penetration, five on finish up. Mm -hmm. Of your takedowns, what phase is the most important? Of your takedowns, um, your finish. Absolutely. So why the hell are you spending five seconds on that? Yeah. And 25 on stance. When you teach, you start in on a high crotch, if it's a high crotch, an example, and you have the leg ready, begin. Change off to a double, knock yeah. them down. Get back up, do it again. All right. Now, squat down. I'm going to blow the whistle. Penetration. Finish up, down. All right, now, ready? Level change, penetration, finish up. And you back out. You go five, four, three, two, one instead of one, two, three, four, five. At the end, you spent 25 seconds on the finish up, 20 on the penetration, 15 on the level change, and five seconds at the end on stance because stance is the least important right. of, of the takedown. Now, when you teach the one through five, like everybody does, what do you do after stance? As a coach, you go, stance. Okay, good, good. Knees bent, shoulders with yeah, hands in front of you. Yeah, good. Stop. All right, now I'm going to teach motion. All right, stance, motion, stop. Great. All right, now we have to work on level change. So we've, we've gone one, two, three, four, five. Right. But I told you to stop four times. Stance, then stop. Level change, stop. Do I teach the penetration? Stop. And as... You have you ever heard a coach say this? Or you, Johnny? How many times am I going to tell you? Quit stopping in the middle of the damn takedown. Keep finishing through. You stop halfway done. All the time. Every, all the time. Well, whose fault is that, coach? You taught him to stop four times during that shot. It's subliminal, but it still registers, and you're wondering why he stops. What? Start five, four, three, two, one. Same with a switch, half Nelson. You start with the chin, you have him on his back, legs spread, and you know, you got your, your positioning, start there. And then you, you back up, how do you roll him over? Back up, how do you put the half on, roll him over? So you're going five, four, three, two, one, or four, three, two, one, or whatever the number is. Because mm -hmm. the finish up is the most important, and you're not teaching them to stop. Right. So you go backwards on that, you don't go forward. and, and now, what do coaches, how do they teach first day of practice? What's the first thing they learn? Stance. Takedowns. 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 And then maybe an escape. But the coach knows if I have some time at the end of each practice, I'm going to teach a side roll or a switch. And if I have a little more time, I'm going to put a half Nelson in. And I'm going to teach a cradle. Okay. Best laid plans of mice and men is to do it that way. But it just invariably, the kid doesn't get the takedown really well. And coach goes, okay, once again, and you start going to a takedown, four long two hours is up, practice is over, and you haven't done escape, and you haven't done a pinning combination. And it goes that way all season long. And you wonder why they can't get off the bottom, and you wonder why they can't turn anybody over. Well, you've never gone over it, you idiot. You know, you start with pinning. You spend the first week doing nothing but pinning, and you start at the five position in four, three, two, one. And then you teach them the side roll to the pin, the switch to the cradle and to the pin. And then you teach the takedown to the half Nelson to the pin. So you're teaching again backwards, but everything flows. So on the takedown, they know they're charging the head to get a half Nelson right out of the takedown because they were already taught the pin. What happens is they take a guy down, they hang on. I got to get the takedown. Well, they don't know what the hell to do after that. They don't know how to move up. They don't know how to turn the guy over. They don't know how to ride the guy. They end up pushing the guy away and back on their feet again. Only because they were never taught the down stuff because the coach never got to the down stuff. The down stuff is easy to teach and it doesn't take any more time away from your practice 
if the very first week you teach down pinning in a switch, in the side roll. And then you go take down to this, take down to the half nelson, take down to the cradle, take down to the bar arm, take down to the load up. And then everything flows. And now you have a kid that can wrestle. Now you have a Zane Rutherford, Bo Nickel, you know, Ben Askren, Wade Shallis, Randy Lewis, and Gene Mills, you know, who want to put, you know, when they're up by 10, they're upset they're not up by 15. When they're up by 15, they're livid that they're not up by 20. That's how you do it. But we as coaches, not we, not me, you, you teach back, you know, you teach wrong. You teach one, two, three, four, five. It's five, four, three, two, one. Reverse instruction. Coach Shalif, I really appreciate this. This is wonderful to have you on back points. Uh, every, the wrestlers who hear this are going to benefit immensely. And really thank you for your time. Well, thanks for having me and putting up with the old guy. Thanks for listening to Back Points today. If you want to support the show, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever else you find the show. Also, it helps us if you give the show a rating on Apple Podcasts and leave a review. Feel free to also make a donation via Patreon at patreon.com backpoints. Thanks and see you next episode.